Today on The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. Again, for for both of these, he says, man, it's better for them to marry than to burn with passion. And again, Paul's focus is on the individual's relationship with Christ. How am I, as a single person, am I going to be able to live my life more completely for the Lord Jesus as a single person, or is my physical desires and my flesh going to be battling me so much as a single person that, no, it would be much better if I were married? In today's message, Pastor David explains Paul's teaching on marriage and singleness found in 1 Corinthians. Paul recognized that marriage may be the best path for some, and this relationship does demand commitment. On the other hand, singleness is upheld as a calling for some that allows for a greater focus on the work of the Lord. In either direction of life, the Spirit of God within us transforms our relationships so that they are a blessing and bring glory to God. Now here's Pastor David with part one of his message entitled, To Marry or Not to Marry. I might borrow uh, very heavily from the, uh, the words of Billy. No, not that Billy. Uh, Billy Shakespeare. Billy Shakespeare, okay? To marry or not to marry, that is the question. Rather, tis nobler in the mind to suffer the slings and the arrows of outrageous singleness or to take arms against a sea of troubles and by opposing to be married. To marry, to sleep, no more. And by marrying, to say we should end the heartache and a thousand natural desires that flesh is heir to till its consummation. To remain devout when the world is amok. To remain single or to proceed to the altar of betrothal. Perchance to dream then how best to serve my Savior. Ah, there's the rub. We're continuing on with Paul in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 7, where he speaks about this whole idea of singleness or marriage. And again, as we've been over the last couple of cases, there's a, at least kind of a PG rating on some of this. And there's nothing that, again, uh, is, a, is a surprise to anyone, but he deals with, again, some very uh, real and true issues of both uh, singleness as well as married life. 
apparently, as we look at this, the way that Paul is writing, the way that he's responding, there had been questions that had been given to him. Rather, it was questions given to him uh, in response to an earlier writing or if those questions came even prior to that. But he's, it, this seems to be an ongoing conversation that Paul is having with the church there in Corinth. Now, in Corinth, open sexual relationship was kind of a norm for non-married people to be able or to take the opportunity to have physical relations. It just seemed to be the, the normal thing happening, and nobody even winked an eye at it or even uh, thought anything about it. Not much different than we are today in our culture today for, again, the, the opening of what they call the sexual revolution. I think it was more the sexual de-evolution that uh, we, we see in what's going on in our society right now. We see, again, the damage to that, and we see the, the consequences of that. Well, that's what's going on in Corinth, and in, in the midst of Corinth, you have the church. So the church coming out of that kind of a culture, being uh, born again, uh, saving knowledge of Christ, not having any kind of a background, because most of these believers there in Corinth, uh, well, most of them were not Jews at this point. They were, they were just pagans. They, they came out of a culture without any kind of a, a godly worldview, without any of the basis of the law, without any basis of the scripture at all. They just came out of that culture, and they came to a saving knowledge knowledge of Christ, and they're trying to figure out how all of this fits together and how, how much does my life change now that I've become a Christian. Again, no doubt for these Christians, there was a, that struggle that actually started going in, in two different extremes. One was the uh, open sexual relationships is the way that the world lives. It's normal, so it should be okay to be a Christian and still experience these open sexual relationships. But no, that's not what Paul had stated to him. Secondly, the other thought is that uh, sexual sin was so devastating to the Christian that they should restrain from any kind of sexual contacts at all, any kind of sexual relations, including even within our marriages. And no, that's not what Paul was saying either. So we look at 1 Corinthians chapter 7, beginning in verse 1. Here is his response. He says, now concerning the things of which you wrote me, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm glad 1 Corinthians didn't stop right there, okay? He continues on. It would appear as though these Corinthians had surmised it by what Paul had written them earlier, that he told them to abstain from sexual relations at all. But praise God, he goes on to explain. Verse 2, he says, Nevertheless, because of sexual immorality, let each man have his own wife, and let each woman have her own husband. There's two different things that we look at in there. Number one, he's speaking of a monogamous relationship. One man, one woman, the husband and the wife together. And yes, it is okay for them to have those physical relationships. He says in verse three, let the husband render to his wife the affection to her, and likewise also the wife to her husband. Paul reaffirms the fact that sexual relationships within marriage is not only good and it's proper, but it's the very design of God in all of this. 
It's healthy, it's, it's right, it's, it's even necessary within our lives. He goes on to speak about that physical or the sexual desires of the husband and wife and how the spouse is the one that God intended to be the one to meet and to fulfill those desires. Some believe that due to Paul's continued reflection here on both husband and wife in this section, in other words, he doesn't zero in on one. He actually, he calls out, hey, husbands, you need to be doing this. Hey, wives, you need to be doing this. That There might have been some faction even within the church at that point in time that was calling for abstinence within the marriage. And so you might have a group of the men that decided, well, you know, for us to be really holy and to really grow in our relationship with Christ, we need to cut off all this physical desire completely. And even though they were married, they would just abstain from that totally. Why? Because I'm committing myself wholly to the Lord. And Or there might have been a group of ladies that had the same thing. They all got together and they figured, hey, you know, to, to keep our hearts and our minds pure, we need to suppress these, these physical desires that we have, give everything to the Lord. And Paul says, no, that's wrong also. That's wrong also. He again comes into that understanding. Both husband and wife They need to understand that they are not their own, that God has called us as husband and wife to work together as one flesh. And with that in mind, it kind of helps us to understand why Paul continues on in this course and what he's saying here. Verse 4, he says, The wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. And likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. And he says, don't deprive one another except with consent for a time that you might give yourselves to fasting and prayer and come together again so that Satan does not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. But I say this as a concession, not as a commandment. This is a very practical instruction that Paul's giving here. I mean, this is just like getting right down to it. Uh, as I think it was uh, D.L. Moody says, that's, that's putting the cookies on the bottom shelf, you know, so everybody can understand what's, what he's saying here at this point in time. Satan does this amazing job in taking a very good thing, a thing that God intended for pleasure and blessing within our individual lives and twist it and turn it around to become something that's perverted, something immoral, and something that's wrong. And Paul is saying, no, that's, that's not the way it is. God designed us this way. We have these physical desires, and we need to work together as husband and wife in the fulfillment of these things. And where it says the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does, likewise the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. He says that the husband is the one to fulfill the needs of the wife. The wife is the one to fulfill the needs of the husband. He's very clear. He's very direct on this this whole thing. And he says that idea of taking time of abstinence, a short period or, or a break of time, although he gives the idea that you take that break to, in order to give yourself a time of fasting and, and prayer, I believe that Paul would agree that there's other times that you abstain also. Times of illness, times of certain life situations. Sometimes, man, just the, the world goes out of so hard and so crazy. We just need you know a little bit of break here. But the intent of the thing is, again, that 
opportunity that the enemy would have or that the enemy would take within an individual life of, again, causing more of a struggle in those areas of physical desires than what needs to be there, again, for the husbands, for the husband and wife. Again, not an extended time, not uh, taking just a simple denial, and for some actually use those physical relationships as kind of a power play. You know, you do what I want you to do or forget about tonight. You know what I mean? So that it's that kind of an idea. And Paul says, hey, don't be playing those games with each other. The husband is supposed to fulfill the needs of the wife. The wife is supposed to fulfill the needs of the husband. If you decide that, hey, we're going to take a break, make sure that it's mutual. Make sure that it's worked out. There will be times within life that absolutely you need that. Now, he goes back to the idea of singleness and sexual abstinence in verse 7. Verse 7, he says, For I wish that all men were even as I myself. And again, that's that idea of a single man. Ladies, I'm going to use the word, please understand, not encumbered by being married, not with a responsibility, but as a single man, fully able to serve the Lord completely without taking care without having a care for anyone else. And it would be the same thing for a woman, not encumbered by, not responsible for another. He says, I wish that all men were even as I myself. But then he goes on to say, again, a very bottom shelf, this is just the way it is. He said, but each one has his own gift from God, one in this matter and another in that. Some, it's okay to be single, and they can be single all of their life. For others, man, single life is not what God has designed them for. They were designed to be married. They were just within their DNA. Others, it's okay to be single and serve the Lord. The real heartbreak that we see so often in our culture, and our culture has changed quite dramatically, I believe, over the last 20 years in this area. For the longest of time, particularly in my generation and even before me, every little girl's supposed dream was she will grow up and at a young age get married, and then they begin bearing children, and she'll take care of her husband and her children for all of her life. And that was ingrained in the children as a regular course of, of way. The little boys were, again, in ingrained in them. When you get to a certain age, you, you will be married. And once you're married, uh, you guys will have kids and it'll be your responsibility to take care of your wife and your children and on. But then about probably about 20, 30 years ago, that really seemed to change. And we see in our culture today, people getting married later and later and later in life. Many that go on into middle adulthood still single and just not really too concerned about getting married. I wish I could say that it was because so many had this driving passion to serve the Lord as a single person, but that's not the case. The case is, is we are growing more and more selfish and I don't want to, you know, share this with him, or I don't want to be tied down to her. I, I just, I just want to, man, live my life. And again, with the, with that same attitude comes the looseness of the morals that we have. So again, when the physical desires are there, well, that's okay because our culture just fully flows with it. I can, I can be with him this week and him next week, or I can be with her today and and this other one tomorrow. Again, the looseness of 
of the morals, the selfishness it brings. And see, Paul, I believe, in the, in the midst of the, the Corinth culture, is dealing with very similar situations here. He says, I wish that you were single. I wish that you could stay that way. But he knows that not everyone is built that way. One has his own gift from God, one in this manner, and another in that. Some have the gift for singleness, yet not everyone has that gift. Verse 8, he says, but I say to the unmarried and to the widows, it's good for them if they remain even as I. But if they cannot exercise self-control, let them marry. For it's better to marry than to burn with passion. Paul's very clear on this. Look, you know, if, if you are single, it's okay to be single but not in an attitude of selfishness. He's saying this in an attitude of, again, the freedom to serve the Lord. It's okay to be that way. But if that's not the way that you are, if that's not the way that you're designed and built, it's okay to get married also. And again, for for both of these, he says, man, it's better for them to marry than to burn with passion. And again, Paul's focus is on the individual's relationship with Christ. How am I, as a single person, am I going to be able to live my life more completely for the Lord Jesus as a single person, or is my physical desires and my flesh going to be battling me so much as a single person that, no, it would be much better if I were married, and again, between my wife and I, we can serve the Lord together, and we can deal with these issues in life. Down in verse 10, he says, now to the married I command. So here he's dealt with the singles, now he's coming to the married. To the married I command, and yet not, not I, but the Lord. The wife is not to depart from her husband. But even if she does depart, let her remain unmarried or be reconciled to her husband. And a husband is not to divorce his wife. Gang, I'll tell you right now, this is probably one of the hottest contested uh, portions of Scripture in all of the New Testament. There is no doubt in my mind that probably even sitting here in this small room that there is probably 60% of you that this is either your second or your third marriage if you're married. I understand that. That is the culture that we are in. But that is not the design, that is not the purpose, and that's not the best direction that God has. So what Paul is doing here, he is not, again, condemning those who have gone. He's saying, look, here is the best way. Here's the strong way. This is what God commands. Again, if you depart, if there is a divorce taking place, then either you be reconciled to that other spouse or you remain unmarried. Okay, so there's a lot of trouble. There's a lot of struggle in the midst of that. What happens if in the midst of that being unmarried, uh, what, 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 what happened? What was the reason? What was the cause for the divorce? Where was the individual in their relationship with Christ? Were they born again before that happened or after that happened? Were they walking out in the world, living as the world when they got married and the divorce took place before they even came to Christ? There are so many issues on that. Some people come in and they are just cut and dry, black and white on this whole issue. And I'm sorry, 
right? But I'm not that way. I can't be that way. Some get upset because I'm not that way. But I do know this, that the principle of God, the desire of God, the purpose and the plan of God is one man, one woman for life. That is the best. That is the best it can be because there is less luggage that you're carrying. Because with a remarriage, you're carrying more luggage. And the more luggage you carry, again, just the greater burden it is. You might tell me, yeah, but pastor, man, you don't know who I was married to before. The one that I'm married to now is just absolutely wonderful, and God is blessing this time. And I say, amen, that is great. But you're carrying luggage, aren't you? You're carrying luggage. There's just no way to get around that. He says in verse 12, but to the rest, I, not the Lord, say, if any brother has a wife who does not believe and she's willing to live with him, let him not divorce her. And, and a woman who has a husband who does not believe, if, if he's willing to live with her, let her not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband is sanctified by the wife. The unbelieving wife is sanctified by the husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean, but now they are holy. Now, let me stop right there. Again, if a brother has a wife who does not believe and she's willing to stay there, or if a woman has a husband who does not believe. Again, in that culture, and I've even seen it today in our culture in some situations, you have two non-believers who are married one of them becomes a Christian. Well, in the time and in the culture of Corinth, it would appear, we could surmise that at that point in time, in order to be a a stronger Christian, many were counseling them, hey, leave that lug. He's a pagan. He goes down to the pagan temple all the time. You know what takes place at that pagan temple. You need to leave him in order that you might serve the Lord better, or vice versa. The husband gets saved. The wife is still lost. She's still involved in all the stuff of the world. And again, they're not walking hand in hand anymore. They're not walking side by side anymore. And so that becomes a continual struggle at that point in time. Paul says, listen, If you are living with a non-believer, if they're still desiring to stay there, don't you be the one to pull the plug on that situation. He says, because in the midst of that, there is this covering that takes place on that unbelieving spouse. That sanctification, understand he's not saying that that unbelieving spouse is now redeemed, that unbelieving spouse is now justified. No, but there is a covering that God puts over that home when even just one of the spouses is born again. I believe personally, and Paul doesn't go into it here, but I believe it's the same principle that say, even as parents... And if we're unbelieving household and we don't serve the Lord at all, we're totally involved with the Lord. And my, our, our, our teenage son comes to Christ. I believe that there's a covering on that home once that one child. Maybe it's not that teenage child. Maybe it's that little one that we allowed to go to vacation Bible school last year because we thought, hey, what a great way to get rid of the kids for a while. And then those kids come to Christ I believe that there's suddenly, because of the Holy Spirit of God in those children, that there is a covering that starts taking place on that home. 
And I believe that's a powerful, powerful thing. We see it with a husband and wife. I believe it could also work through the children. And one of the great importances we have, not only for things like our Sunday school, but also Vacation Bible School, our Awanas program, much like Jeff was saying uh, this last weekend, that whole idea of touching the hearts and lives of those between 4 and 14 with the hope of the gospel, getting them saved. And it is amazing how a whole family can be changed because of that. The book of 1 Corinthians is probably best known for its passage on love in chapter 13. You've probably heard these verses spoken at weddings, but these words on the character of love can also be applied to our relationship with God. God loved us so much that He gave His Son to stand in our place of judgment. Jesus came to this earth to live a perfect life and then took every sin of every human being upon Himself, dying so that we didn't have to. That incredible love is available to you right now. If you want to know more about Jesus and the life of forgiveness and love He has waiting for you, please call us at 520-836-9676. You can also send us an email by visiting our website at theopenword.com. As a next step, we encourage you to find a solid Bible-based church to help you grow in your walk with God. With a special invitation regarding that, here's Pastor David. Hey, I hope that today's message has encouraged you in your faith and given you a hunger to learn more about God. If you're in the Casa Grande area and are looking for a church to attend, I'd be honored to have you join us here at Calvary Chapel of Casa Grande. You can find directions and service times by visiting theopenword.com and following the links to our church homepage. We welcome you to be a part of our time of worshiping our Creator and studying the words of the Bible verse by verse, growing closer to Him each week. Thanks, Pastor David. We are so glad you joined us today here on The Open Word. Pastor David will return to share more from the book of 1 Corinthians right here on The Open Word. Make us more.